I'll have you to join me in turning to John's Gospel, chapter 16. This is where we are going to jump off into what we're going to talk about later. That's found over in 1 John, chapter 2. So there's two places you need to be turning. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, and then again in 1 John, chapter 1. I want to piggyback off of uh, Pastor Charlie's prayer earlier and um, what we just sang about coming out of the Sunday school hour. Charlie and I had had sat aside and and talked for just a brief moment and shared some things that uh, were on his heart and on my heart in our Sunday school class, much like your own Sunday school class, and hopefully that you attended. Uh, There was prayer requests that were shared, and the more we shared, the, it's almost like the deeper and darker these requests became, as they always do. And, and I'd mentioned to Charlie, as, as he did mention in his prayer, that Job, if you know the story of Job from the Old Testament, I was reminding Charlie earlier that one of my professors years ago in an Old Testament class said that if Job showed up to most of our churches today, he would feel out of place. He would, know, he would not recognize what was going on. Simply because we sit in, in a small group like that or with each other and we share what's on our hearts and what's going on. And we're here and we're reminded to pray for Randy Glover, who's literally got a new heart, which is kind of awesome, but still in much need of prayer or sweet Karen Bryant and what she's having to face. Others that you know that are facing COVID in our hospital system and those who are taking care of us, and we've all been affected by COVID one way or another, and and just the the multiple reports of cancer, death, and dying, and it it does, it seems like a downer uh, when when you come to church and, and you feel like, am I the only one whose head is not on straight? Are we the only couple that's struggling? Am I the only young mother that doesn't have all the answers? Am I the only young father that's really, really hurting? And I have to come in here and, and I have to put on this face. And I have to, when somebody asks me, how are you doing? I immediately have to say, oh, I'm doing fine. When the truth of the matter is, I feel like Job. I feel out of place. I'm hurting. I want you to know, and I want you to hear this, you're in the right place. It's perfectly fine that you don't have all the answers. It's perfectly fine if your heart is hurting. It's okay if you cry. It's okay if you're worried over your loved ones who are still battling this virus. It's okay that we're hurting for loved ones in and out of this church who are dealing with cancerous problems and facing the grave, it's okay that you're hurting. You're in the right place. Now, with that said, can you imagine what it would be like to live your life walking, physically walking day in and day out alongside of Jesus, physically? Every day, every moment, every evening, you are close by him. You wake up in the morning and you grab a cup of coffee with Jesus. 
you sit and you talk with Jesus. He's around you every waking and sleeping moment. You have heard him speak. You have heard him teach. You have sat on the hillside and you've watched literally thousands of people be in, in, in just infected by his teachings and his goodness. You, you need no more convincing that he is indeed who he claims to be. You have bought in 100%. You are with him all the time. And then out of the blue, he blindsides you and tells you, Oh, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm no longer going to be with you. Now, this is the one that you've been turning to for all your questions. I have a question about faith. I have a question about a virus. I have a question about death. I have a question about politics. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do in my marriage or with my parenting skills. I need help. And, and I've got a front row seat to an attendance with the Son of God. And now he's telling me he's leaving me. And I'm so caught up in the present. I'm so caught up in myself. I don't even bother to ask him where he's going. He just tells me that he's leaving. I'm so used to having him around me that I, I really, I don't know what life would be like if he's not there. I'm so used to falling back on him for all of my questions. He is the great safety net in my life. Whenever I notice that someone is hurting mentally, physically, I just take them to Jesus and he does what only Jesus can do. He fixes them. When I notice that someone's limping through life, I just escort them to Christ and he helps them. Now he's leaving? What am I supposed to do with that? This is a pretty good life I've been given. I don't want him to go anywhere. Why would he do this to me? Why would he pull out now? What am I supposed to do if I've got questions about what's right versus what's wrong? What am I supposed to do with that hurting person who comes to me and they've got cancer or they've got COVID or they've got marital problems? What do I do now? Because Jesus is no longer physically going to be here. Where can I take them to help? Where can I take them to find help? What can I do with my unanswered questions? And then Jesus, above all this other stuff going on with him leaving, in John chapter 16, starting at verse 12, he says this, just to make me feel better. I still have many things to say to you, to you but you cannot bear them now. What's my response? Right, you're leaving but you still have much to tell me. Why would you do that, Jesus? I mean, you're admitting to me that there's things I don't know that I can, I can still get from you. I can still glean from you. And you're leaving. This is hateful. I've got so much more to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all that is truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and then again declare it to you. Folks, this is a great word of promise. And again, it doesn't start out very nice. 
or it seems not to start out very nice. I'm leaving you. I've got a lot to tell you, but you can't handle it, so I'm just going to leave. This is a great word of promise. It's a great word of promise that Jesus is not leaving us high and dry. That Jesus refuses to leave us hanging. That's not good enough for him to leave his children unaware. I'm going to send another that it's not unlike myself. I'm going to send a comforter to you, a spirit to you. And he's coming and he's going to bring with him a wide range of gifts just for you. You ever faced a situation where you didn't know right from wrong? Sure you have. You've, you've survived junior high. You've went through that emotion. You ever wondered how to make heads or tails out of all the political news that's thrown at us on a daily basis? Sure you have. You got questions? You want answers? You, you want truth? Jesus says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and all he does is give out truth. And this truth does not come from him. It's not the Holy Spirit's opinion. It's from God the Father. That's what the verses just told us. He just repeats what he's been told. He just repeats the truth that comes from the Father. The Holy Spirit is bound, just like you and I are bound, not to hold to our own opinions. You are entitled to your own opinion. Whether it's politics, COVID, or church, you can have your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. The Holy Spirit is bound to the facts of God. He simply repeats what he's, what he's hearing. He is not a gossip. And the source of his information is God of very God, truth of very truth. In other words, you can trust what he reveals to you. You can trust what he says. Jesus goes on in this promise to say to John, who's writing this letter, and to Peter and to James and the rest of the disciples, what you guys are used to dealing with is the here and now. You're used to seeing people have their blindness healed. You're used to seeing miracles. You're used to hearing him teach presently. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to tell you what's next. He's going to tell you what to expect in the future. He's going to lead you into places that you've never even thought about going when he comes and he gives you this truth, he's going to give credit where credit is due. All glory to Christ, John says. By taking what is all of Jesus, his works, his power, his love, his patience, everything that makes Jesus who he is, and he's going to declare this information to you. This Holy Spirit is going to teach you things about Jesus and yourself and your future that you cannot even begin to imagine. So it's good. It's actually a good thing for me to leave you so that the Spirit can then come. Who would not be interested in such a life? Sounds like a pretty fair trade. Verse 12 again points out that Jesus' mission is technically unfinished. I have so many more things to tell you, but you cannot handle it at this moment. I'm thankful that he did not leave us hanging. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit came to continue God's work through God's people throughout the history of our people and our time here on earth. I'm thankful that he did not leave us to ourselves. I'm thankful that he did not leave it up to me to try to figure out what comes next. It's very good news. This good news for John. I can almost see a crack of a smile on John's face as he's writing these words. 
I'm going to leave you. I have much, many more things to tell you, but you can't handle it. But don't worry, the Spirit's coming. He's writing these words, hindsight. He's looking back, thinking, yes, the Holy Spirit has shown up. The Holy Spirit has helped me. The Holy Spirit has guided me. He has told me things about Christ and about me that I did not even fathom. It's good news for Peter. It's good news for James. It's good news for Matthew. They were used to having Jesus here. They were used to having breakfast with Jesus daily. But it's very good now that his spirit is here, that they can all split up and go their separate directions in different places all across the globe and the spirit go with them. It's good news for us as well. Very good news for us as well. Because we've got that same spirit in us. The same spirit that was promised to John and Peter and Matthew is promised to you. It goes with you exactly like it went with them. And it's really good news for us because if you've not checked lately, in 2021, things have not exactly been on an uptick for Christians. Things are not necessarily getting easier. They're not necessarily getting better. So let me ask you this question, and this is where we're going to jump off into 1 John chapter 2. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? In real time, what does it look like to talk with the Spirit, to live with Him in me, to abide in Him? Charlie has been talking, our, our church has been going through this explanation of the Spirit, who He is, what He does. And I've told you before, because I know I've, we've, we've talked about this particular subject before with, with me being here. When I mention the Holy Spirit to you, Oftentimes, it's like I was when I was a young child. I, I pictured Casper, the friendly ghost. That's not the Holy Spirit. But he is indeed a person, a real person. When John writes of him and Jesus speaks of him in, in John 16, what we just read, he's always using this personal pronoun, he, 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 not it. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's a person you can speak to. It's a person that speaks back. It's a person you can pray to. That you can pray to for help. That you can listen to for conviction. That's what he does. Before we jump off into 1 John chapter 1, I want to do something quickly for you. So get something to write with, write down. I'm going to explain the Trinity in just a second. You ready? That's a joke. I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity. Books upon books upon books have been written on this subject. I can't explain it better than anybody else. I can tell you this. I'm not going to waste my time trying to get you to think about water, ice, and steam. Because such metaphors always break down and we still don't understand what the Trinity is and how it operates and how it works. I'll give you the best information that I can, I can find dealing with what the Trinity is. The best definition I know came from 1689. I know, it came from England a long time ago. The first Baptist confession of faith says that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all infinite. Easy enough. They have without beginning... Yet they are one God. The Trinity is not divided in nature or in being, but is distinguished by several, several particular relative properties and personal relations. It's that personal relation that I want to focus on. The Trinity is known for several particular relative properties and personal relations. So again, I ask you, what does it look like to be led by and guided by the Holy Spirit in everyday life? What does that mean? 
that I'm full of the Spirit, that I'm led by the Spirit. Clay, in real time, what's that look like? What do I need to shoot for? 1 John chapter 2 is this same John that we read from earlier in chapter 16 of, of the fourth gospel. But now he's an old man. You can picture this guy with no hair, gray beard, a few teeth, however you want to picture him. He's just an older gentleman. He's lived his life. He's been there. He's done that. And he sits down with a piece of paper and pen and he starts to write out a letter, a series of letters to encourage Christians that are in and around the city of Ephesus where he helped begin a work and disciple these believers. And he wants to write back to them as little children because he's an old man and he wants to encourage their faith. And he tells them here exactly the same thing that Jesus promised in John 16. You got the promise there. You got the reminder of the promise in 1 John chapter 2 beginning at verse 26. Verse 26, Paul, uh, John writes these words. I'll write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing, his anointing teaches you about everything. And it's true. And is no lie. Just as it is taught to you, abide in him. Twice, John uses the word anointing here. Do you see that? He uses this word, this, this unction word, this coming upon you word that means anointing to us. But what is the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Well, again, what does it look like to be anointed? Is this something that I want to happen to me? Should I look to get anointed? Is it something I can catch from the person next to me? How does this anointing work? In the Old Testament, it was a symbol, usually of a king or a priest that was set aside for their leadership role. That oil poured over their head. That was the anointing. And it would get all over their beard. And then they would literally smear it in and rub it in tight so that everyone would know this person is marked. This person is set aside. This is God's chosen person for this simple leadership role. We just want you to see it. Psalm 23 famously says that you have anointed my head with oil. Post-Easter, there's no oil involved. It's not a physical act. It's no longer a symbol. Now it's on your heart. It's inside your heart. That word anointing, you see that in your scriptures? I, I love this word because it always makes Baptists nervous. Because in the original language, it's charisma. Charisma. It is something you receive upon your salvation. You become a Christian and you automatically, instantaneously, right then and there, become a charismatic Oh, I'm not a charismatic. Oh, yes, you are. You are a charismatic if you are a Christian because the Spirit has anointed you. It is in you. It indwells in you. That's what it means to be charismatic. I did not say act a fool in church. I said nothing about rattlesnakes. Not going to. I didn't say anything about second baptisms or abusing tongues. That's another sermon for another time. 
this word anointing, this word charismata, always 100% of the time in the New Testament deals with the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. For those moments when I don't know what to do, I will guarantee you, you don't know what to do. I'll just tell you, you don't know all the time what to do. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. That's why he's here. That is his job. It is to teach you and I what to do in following Christ. In fact, that's his main job is to point others to Christ. I read years ago of a, I don't remember the guy's name, but a great orchestra leader world-famous leader of bands all across the globe. And someone asked him one time, what is the hardest instrument to get someone to play, to teach someone to play? Maybe Will Curry could give us some information on this as well. But what is the hardest instrument to teach somebody how to play? He said, that's easy. Second violin. Second fiddle. It's the hardest thing to get somebody to do. Because you're not the star. You're in the background. Somebody else is out front. You're second fiddle. Literally, you're behind the scenes making sure that they look good. The Holy Spirit is indeed fully God, 1,000%. But he is always pointing others to Christ. That's his job. That's what he does. He gives Christ every ounce of glory that comes from anything we say or do. And that gives us a good word of warning that you need to hear. Hear this. It is a very dangerous place to be if you're in church and all the attention is on you. If you're in church and all the attention is on you, you need to move or sit down or be quiet or something because we're doing it wrong. This is Jesus' time, period. You know that. But this is just a word of warning that all of us need to hear. James Merritt, you, you might have heard that name. He heard him preach several, several years ago. And he rightly put it this way. He said, the Holy Spirit is a tool of God's employment, never a toy for your enjoyment. I'll say that again, because that was pretty good. The Holy Spirit is a tool for God's employment. It is never a toy for your enjoyment. We must get our worship right. That being said, let's go back to our original question. What does it look like to be anointed with the Holy Spirit? What am I talking about? If I, if I obtain this charisma at my salvation, and it's not something that's acted out, pray tell, what is it? You and I are living in a very distinct part of history. We are caught between really two bookends. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus ascends and leaves, right? With a promise, I'm going to come back. You and I are right there. He's gone, but he's not come back yet. So how are we to live? What are we to think? How are we to act? How are we to raise children? How are we supposed to do church? How are we to get along? Those are questions only the Spirit rightly can answer for us. The anointing of the Holy, Holy Spirit is that teaching ministry to teach us how to live in that time. 
That's what it means to be anointed. Jesus promised in John 16 that when the Holy Spirit came, 100% of everything you need to get through life will be at your fingertips. It will be as close as a prayer. Jesus is leaving, but the Holy Spirit's on his way. That's great news for some of us today. That has to be just a wonderful reminder. Jesus left, but the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit always tells us the truth. Jesus is not physically here, but the Holy Spirit still is. He still remains. He still abides. Some of us need to grasp that. Some of us need to stop trying to live life on our own. We need to stop trying to let other people figure out that we don't have all the answers. It's okay not to have all the answers. We know the one that does. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is still here? What does it mean that he is still presently among us and that we are now officially charismatics? If he's still here, it obviously means that deceivers are still here. And the deceivers are still presently active. Again, verse 26 of what I just read to you. I'm writing to you because of those trying to deceive you. Did those guys and gals just go away? No. Deceivers are still far and wide. Our Sunday school lesson this morning was out of Jude. How we are to contend for the faith. And Jude was writing to church people. He wasn't saying that atheists are outside attacking your church. He said there's deceivers on the inside causing trouble. You must learn to fight and to contend for the truth that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Deceivers prove that we still need the Holy Spirit. Deceivers prove that the Holy Spirit is all that we need, period. Yes, we need to tell people how to get to heaven. We need to tell people, explain to them how to have Christ as their Savior and how to live all eternity with him. That's good news. We need to evangelize. We need the gospel for that moment. True. But we also need the gospel to teach every young father how to be a good dad. We need to tell young couples or older couples, it doesn't matter, how to have a godly marriage. That's what the gospel is for. That's what it does. It fixes everything we know. Not too long ago, probably just within the last year for sure, I heard a political pundit, somebody on one of our national TV channels, say that there's no virus for racism. I might have told you this before, but I think that's hockey. I don't know what, what Greek word that is, but it's hockey. Just There's no virus. There's no, there's no, there's no, no, no shot. No shot for the, for the virus of racism. There's no inoculation for racism. Are you kidding me? There's the gospel. The gospel fixes everything. There's an inoculation for every sin that's in your heart. It's called Jesus dying on the cross, coming back to life. That's the gospel. So yes, it will get you to heaven, but it will also get you through life. My marriage is on the ropes. We're about to call it quits. The gospel can fix that. That's what he does. He brings dead things back to life. I don't know how to be a good parent. He can fix that. That's what the gospel does. 
our finances, or I'm out of work, I, I need help, I need whatever it is that you need, Jesus fixes this. There's a shot for every virus that is running rampant in your DNA. That's what the gospel does. To believe anything else is to be deceived. And as long as deceivers are active, the Holy Spirit is active. They've not quit. They're not going to stop. And neither is he. Scripture, again, I said this in Sunday school. The gospel, the, strip, the scripture, everything we have from God, every lesson, every story, every truth that we have in the Bible is something given to us to correct us. And it's not up for a vote. Your opinion will not change Scripture. He's not going to form a new committee on a new Bible. He's given us what we need to know, this truth that was delivered to the saints once and for all time. Deceivers are still active. That's why the Holy Spirit's still active. They're not going to give up, neither should we. So if they're active, he's active. Look at verse 27. These people are trying to deceive you. you you've received this anointing. It's come from him and it abides, this anointing, it abides in you. There's no need for anyone else to teach you anything. We do not need another teacher, yet we've got so much still to learn. John is not writing here because he's against education. He's not against Christian growth. He's simply telling you, if you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got all that you need. You don't need an outside source to come in and add an appendix to what the Holy Spirit has already taught you. You don't need in addition to what the Bible says. The Bible says that's enough, period. Again, there is no vote. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired this word. The Holy Spirit also illuminates this word. The problem is we don't know this word. There's no time that we spend in this word, or at least not enough time in this word, or we would have the answers that we need. In verse 27, you see the verbs abides and teaches. These verbs are both in what we call the present tense. It means that they're still active. Still to this day, in your heart, in your mind, he still abides. He's never left you. Upon your salvation, when you receive that charismata, he's not left you. He's not going to leave you. He will never forsake you. And he constantly is always teaching you exactly what you need to know. One thing before I leave verse 27, what he teaches is told to be the truth of God. It's true and it does not, it's not a lie. You see that word true? It's true. It's not a lie. This is a rarity above all rarities in Scripture. In the New Testament, if you, want, if you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. Holy, holy, holy. You repeat it, right? If you and I are texting someone or emailing someone and we want to emphasize something, we, we underline it or we italicize it. Or better yet, we caps, all caps. And it looks like you're yelling at someone. That's what it means when you text and you got all caps. You're yelling this out. Verse 27, he teaches what is true. It's not a lie. That word true in the original language is all caps. 
There's only once or twice in all of Scripture that that happens. John is emphasizing, screaming out to you. When the Spirit speaks, you can trust what he says. When the Spirit speaks, it is true. It is not a lie. He's yelling it. This is truth. Look nowhere else. You don't need another teacher. You don't need that guy on TV. You don't need that best-selling author. You don't need his new book. You don't need to wear her T-shirt or her bumper sticker. You've got the scriptures. You've got the spirit. That's enough. It's true. Deceivers are active. The Holy Spirit is active. So what does that mean for you and I? If all these people around us are active, if the Holy Spirit is active, you and I must be active as well. If you want an easy religion, find something else to believe in besides Christianity. This is something you have to fight for. It is a daily fight of faith. This is not simple. Christianity is not always fun and enjoyable. I wish I could stand right here and say, if you will come here today, if you will receive Christ as your Savior, every answer or every question that you have will be instantaneously answered. Every problem that you have will instantaneously go away. The problems of our world, like racism, will instantly go away. That's not going to happen. You and I still have to go to a funerals. You and I still have to hear the word cancer. You and I still have to deal with COVID. You and I still have to send our kids off to college. You and I still have to go through everything that everybody else on planet Earth has to deal with. We just get to deal with it with the Holy Spirit abiding in us. And it is indeed a fight. Verse 27, the last part of verse 27. Just as it has taught you, Abide in him. Remain. Stay put. That's what abide means. Stay right there. I'm not a young man anymore. I used to be. But as I, as I quickly approach the age of 50, I do look back on my childhood and I can remember my dad and uncles and other people that helped raise me doing things that the, my generation just dropped. I, I don't, I'm not a very good gardener. I just go to the grocery store. See how easy that is? I don't, I don't pick peas. I just buy them. Pretty simple. But I do remember being a small child, watching my dad and other men actually use mules. Some of you have watched mules operate 150 degrees outside, and there's leather straps and iron works and a mule that's walking and pulling, and it's dusty and it's hot. If you recall in your, in your mind, that mule had on blinders. Why? So he wouldn't get distracted by something that would keep him from his focus, that would keep him on the straight and narrow. You've got the truth in you, John says. You've got the Holy Spirit in you, as a gentle reminder. It is a spiritual blinder for you to keep you away from the distractions, to keep you away from the falsehoods, to keep you on the straight and narrow path to where you're supposed to be going. Otherwise, if you remove them and you look back at your life, it's just going to be a crooked mess. 
Abide in what you've been taught already. Stay put with everything that you know to be true. And again, this is a daily fight. What do I mean by that? This has to become a daily practice if it is not already. The anointing, that's something that he does. And by his grace and for his glory, this fight, this, this unction, this is something that you and I have to do. I want you to, if, if you can, this is something that, that I've, I've told somebody else recently. In your mind, or maybe even physically, you can do this. Get you a piece of chalk or magic marker. Get your wife's permission if you do this on a carpet and draw a circle in your house, maybe on the carport, driveway. Better yet, get a hula hoop. If you can find a hula hoop, put it on the ground. Stand in that circle. Kneel in that circle. And make this your prayer. Holy Spirit, will you revive? Will you teach? Will you redeem? Everything that's inside the circle. Yes, Hillcrest needs revival. New Albany could stand a good revival. But would you cause revival and anointing to occur with everything that's inside of this circle first? So, ladies, forgive him, but if you go home in the morning and you look up and there's like a magic marker circle there by the bed, forgive him. Just know what he's doing. He's praying. Lord, would you revive everything in this circle? Would you forgive and create new everything that's in this circle? And would you do it now before I start my day? Would you do it now before I speak to my wife or my husband or my kids? Would you do it now? I don't want to wait till I go to bed. I want to do it before I start my day. Otherwise, you're telling the Holy Spirit you, you can do it on your own. You just take the afternoon off. I got this. If that's your prayer, please give your car keys to somebody else and stay at the house. Do not even get out. You, you don't got this. You've been given 167 hours in every week. Did you know that? From Sunday to Sunday, you have 167 hours. How much of those 167 hours are you giving to studying the scripture, to reading God's word. Now, I know sometimes you're sleeping, sometimes you're taking a shower. I got that. I'm just talking about the normative everyday living. Of 167 hours of a week, how many hours are you in prayer? Again, Holy Spirit, fix me. Go on your cell phone and just check your screen time. How much time did I spend on my cell phone this week? That little feeling that you get about right here, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Saying, do you not see it now? Do you not understand now what your God really is? You say you love me. You say you need to spend time with me. And yet I've given you 167 hours and I cannot make you look up. 
Is that convicting? Good, because that's not from clay. I'm good, but I ain't that good. That's not me. Time spent with the Holy Spirit will increase your anointing. And your anointing will increase the education ministry, the Holy Spirit pouring into your heart. And the more Holy Spirit you have in your heart, guess what? You will know exactly what to do when someone in your Sunday school class has cancer and they're facing death. You will know precisely what to do when your wife looks at you and says, I don't think I love you anymore. You will know precisely what to do when Tracy or Jason or Don or Charlie says, we have a need for our church to have servants. You won't have to ask. I wonder if he's talking to me. You will be so full of the Holy Spirit. You will be so covered with that anointing. You will know the truth because he does not lie. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the anointing looks like. Let me leave you with one verse. You can jot this down and look it up and read it later. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Clay, I don't know that I have the ability to do this. I don't think I can put this much trust into something that I physically can't see. I don't know if I'm able. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You know Romans 8, 28, but check out the first part of the chapter as well. If the Spirit of Him... Spirit being capitalized. If the Holy Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. I don't think I can have that conversation with that loved one. I don't think I can minister to that need as I should. I don't think I can serve in that capacity all you're doing is saying the Holy, to the Holy Spirit, you are simply not enough. I know you can raise Jesus from the dead. That was a good one. But you can't make me teach Sunday school. You can't make me keep nursery. I'm just not able. Folks, you can do everything in your... You can do anything that God lays before you in service to his kingdom. Because you have the answers and you have the strength. Because you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's what that means. I'm going to ask Don now if he will bring his people back. And let's spend some time not just praying that the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to us. But also that the Holy Spirit would speak to us on how to, ble- to best be ministers of the gospel to those who are indeed hurting to serve in the capacities for this church and this community that those, those needs, we need to make, the, make sure that they're met. Holy Spirit, I pray with all of my heart that you will speak to the men and women in this room. I particularly pray that you will speak to the one standing behind this pulpit, that you will open all of our eyes to the needs around us. May we stop giving you excuses as to why we can't do something. And for Jesus' glory only, will we stop using our time on something that means absolutely nothing for eternity? May we give our time, our schedule, our calendar, our checkbook, our family relationships, our church services, may we give everything 
over to you so that you could freely, freely use it to point others to Christ and to build his kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.